0: Brooklyn. Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host Vijay Nathan. Nathan. Uh, this show uh, airs every Monday at 8am. And today we're welcoming um, Jyoti Gupta. Uh, a um, let me just pull up our uh, bio. Uh, Jyoti Gupta is a media literacy educator and founder, and creative director of the Colorism Project independent initiative that aims to shift media's skin color narratives from the profitable to the equitable. Um, her uh, independent work on subject colorism, which spans uh, more than a decade, has engaged community organizations, nonprofits, academia, uh, elementary schools, and institutions of higher education in Houston, New York, and New Delhi. Jothia has represented her work at the Jaipur, uh Literature Festival at TEDx Women. She's been awarded a grant supported by the City of Houston, Putting the U in Color, a collaborative exhibit that has challenges, challenges, biases targeted towards dark-skinned girls and women and men in Southeast Asian communities, or South Asian communities and their and the media. Welcome, Jyoti. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we start the conversation off with uh, the Colorism Project and talking a little bit about, um, you know, what that is and. And, and give, inform the uh, listeners about the work it's doing?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks um, again for having me here. The Colorism Project is an initiative that tries to not only raise awareness of colorism, um, but also inform um, its audiences of ways to decode media messages and uh, make media messages more clearly visible. Um, Before I proceed, I want to just talk a little bit about the term colorism for those of us who may not already be aware. It is a term coined by American novelist and poet um, Alice Walker, and uh, she defined the term colorism as a prejudicial or preferential treatment of same race people based solely on their color. And as more and more people have started to raise awareness of colorism in the last decade, they have started to adapt the definition to their work. Um, for my purposes, I define colorism as a system that creates opportunities for people with light skin, regardless of their true strengths, often thriving on the community's si- silence. So one of the things that I want to stress about about colorism is that it can affect people not only um, in their day-to-day, but uh, also have really negative impact and alter their life chances significantly. What that means is that, for instance, in a school situation, colorism could result in exclusion or isolation when children want to play with certain kids, but it could also lead to harsher punishments um, for, certain, for, for you know, the darker skinned. Uh, children, same race, same race. Children for the same, um, uh, same, you know, same uh, mistake or
0: uh, in mm-hmm. in
1: a school situation.
0: Yeah, so it goes it goes throughout the society up till you know adults where they they get more harsher penalties for uh, crimes or alleged crimes and all this kind of thing. Yes, where they're getting they're, the judge is not seeing, you know, it's seeing color, you know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So now you did um, a book for children, uh, different differenter. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and the uh, attempt to kind of introduce the concept or or kind of reinforce um, the uh, idea of colorism and, and reinforce kind of pathways to understanding it? Yeah.
1: Yes, actually. So the the I had been working on. Um, I'll just give you the backstory real quickly. But I had been working on uh, you know the idea of raising awareness of colorism. Uh, that That is practiced in several cultures uh, as well as the South Asian culture and um, and a few uh, uh, like three or four years ago, I wanted to do something to engage my community uh, in a more um, tangible way, and so I thought of several ideas of what I could do to, uh, to you know to engage them around a product that I would design and create and crowdfund. And basically I came up with the idea of doing this book. And the proposed idea was um, that a a book about skin color that talks about uh, skin color in a healthy way. So Mm. sorry, sorry, I say that what I'm trying to say is an activity book that teaches about skin color in a healthy way. Mm. And it was intended for seven to nine year olds. And the idea was uh, it sort of grew organically from what I was gleaning in, in you know, mom spaces and uh, reading just children's book. I had a, I had a son who was four at the time. He's now six.
0: Mm. And
1: so so it's kind of a reaction to that, you know, creative outpouring. Uh, so basically the book is called Different Differenter. It's an activity book. It has 14 activities. And each of them address different aspects of uh, how color is experienced in the classrooms and in real life or in playgrounds or what I call the in-between spaces where colorism does get enacted uh, with the, in, within this age group. So, but, you know, we talk about, we start with talking about like just different kinds of skin color and, you know, the idea of multiplicity of skin colors as opposed to thinking of skin color within the construct of race, mm. which I think is very unnecessary. Uh, if it's, if I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, incomplete, I should say, if we are teaching... Our children about color strictly in the context of race? I think there are lots of other factors that kind of intermingle with, with whether it's ethnicity or your culture uh, that should be taught alongside or, you know, sort of ingrained. Mm. Um, so we kind of try to have these kind of explorations. There's no one uh, decisive or conclusionary remark or uh, that we try to make in the book. Instead, we try to have a more two-way conversation for, you know, children to make their own messaging.
0: Yeah, good, good. So why don't we leap in and uh, get a sample from the book, and then we'll, we can kind of go with the conversation from there, and then we'll get a sample from the book, uh, different, different Uh And the subtitle was Activity. What An was
1: Activity Book About Skin Color. Okay, good, good.
0: All and right. celebrating different uh, various skin, skin colors and such, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's, yeah. That is
1: the intention. Um, so it's basically... Um, set up in four modules and has 14 activities. As I already mentioned, there's a question answer sort of format. Every chapter kind of leads with a question. And my uh, one of the ones that I really enjoy reading is uh, the question. This is how it starts. The, The headline or the title of the chapter is what does our skin color tell others about us? So what does our skin color tell others about us? Nothing, really. However, our skin color, along with our name, the languages spoken at our home, as well as our special festivals and holidays, might tell others a little about our family's way of life. Some people believe they can tell things about a person by looking at or talking to them. But really, they are using stereotypes to make a guess. A stereotype is an untrue belief that many people have about all people or things with a particular characteristic. An example of a stereotype is that girls have long hair or boys like the color blue. You know that's not true rem- remember, remember the most in the more information we learn, the more we know and understand the world around us.
0: Thank you, thank you. so it's good because I think that um it's definitely true that when we have when we get like very minimal amount of facts about people, we make leaps of assumptions about their. Personalities or about what we understand about them, and uh, I think one of the influencing books you mentioned was uh, "Ways of Seeing" and like "Ways of Seeing" with John Berger, and way way in which um, the inquiry into the inquiry into um, looking at things differently and, and being able to see the all the things around us differently. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the influential thinkers and in books that kind uh, of an impact on on the construction of this uh, on the presentation of, 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 your, the,
1: of yes yes. Yeah. Um. So, for, certainly, uh, you know, I had read John Burgers uh Ways of Seeing, and I was just completely. I uh, had studied art um, appreciation during art school, um, I, even though I was studying advertising design or visual communication. You know, we did take art theory, and uh, so I was I, when I read John's book, I was amazed at the. You know, his interpretations and a very clear look at the relationship between society and power and politics and money and art. And so that kind of set me off um, um, on like further inquiry and and as well as other things that I'd been experiencing growing up, you know, in my uh, working life in India. And that took me, got me to the media. Uh, study school at the New School, where I pursued a media studies uh, master's. And that's really when I started to read about some of the scholarship by the Frankfurt School uh, scholars like Walter Benjamin and uh, Stuart Hall, and started to think about, uh, you know, the history also of media, also the history of media, but also, you know, the methods that media use to, to decode uh, code messages and like how can we um, as informed uh, consumers of media really be critical about even like everyday advertisements or news or maybe a headline, you know, in an article. And of course, it's not something you can just wake up to. It's a constant practice. And, you know, you can only slowly kind of keep working towards it and getting better. Um, I was also influenced by Franz Fanon, who wrote The Wretched of the Earth, and Edward Said, who wrote Orientalism, and thinking also about the various kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, power structures that dominate conversations and uh, marginalize people of color, basically. Um, of course, uh, you know, um, also bell hooks uh, in her book about, uh you know art and pop culture. She it's called Art on My Mind. And I have a quote from that. I'm gonna read that out. It's one of my most uh inspiring um uh, quotes that I I I always think about when I'm doing anything that is has a visual component mm. uh especially um so here it goes. She says clearly it is only as we move away from the tendency to define ourselves in reaction to white racism, that we are able to move toward a practice of freedom, which requires us first to decolonize our minds. We can liberate ourselves and others only by forging in resistance identities that transcend narrowly defined limits. And so even in creating um, the book, you know, uh, I, I tried to uh, tell you know my motivation was basically creating a book that reflected the society that we grow up in. you know I was not as concerned about showing uh you know tokenizing let's say skin color or tokenizing you know gender equity or tokenizing uh ab- abilities you know variously abled uh children but the idea was more uh because you know if you if you the intention becomes very clear in your work. Um, If you're intentionally putting a kid there because you want to put a kid in a wheelchair, let's just say talking about ableism, Mm. especially in children's literature, you know, I think it's very important to show children of all, uh, you know, vignettes and like all uh, sort of uh, with all, all personalities and, you know, Mm. so on. Um, And so, uh, so you know, so we tried to not do that, you know. And mm-hmm. I think the intention shows is what I'm saying. Yeah. And so uh so that's just one example. So we have like I have thirty-six children in this book and um that you know illustrations of thirty-six children, and each kid like has their own personhood, you know, and you can see that. If you start looking one by one, you can really see that one is that one is not trying to kind of respond, uh you know, to what is being done in children's media, what is not being done in children's media. We're not trying to think of that. We're trying to simply say, we are going to capture society as it is for, for this kid who's going to read this book, and that's the way to embrace life and difference and beauty, you know?
0: Yeah, so it seems like what you're saying, just to restate, is, or my understanding is that, you know, in generally speaking, media they have the, Tendency of not going for truth, but rather for going for like this artificial or, or inorganic attempt to appease or or represent, not in the organic way, but rather in, in a truthful way, but rather in a kind of pandering way. And we, and your work, and your attempt is to try to bring truth into that. That we're we're bringing the society as a whole, we're taking a, a vision of society as a whole, and that we're kind of finding the um, the person of each individual character or representation, and it's not just a way to just to um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I couldn't have said it better. Right, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. I just to make sure for the audience and for myself that we understood. And then um, when we think about values, that, that leads into kind of values and such and and how that we're values-driven, we're values-focused. Um, what are some of the values you think that will guide us out of this? Because when, uh, when we talk about like kind of the decolonization of our mind, for example, it's a big term to to unpack and to understand, you know, something on a superficial level, I think we understand it, but uh, on a deeper level, how the um the the institutionalized uh kind of problems of the problems in the institution and such of patriarchy, of coloniz- coloniz- colonization, all these kind of imperialism, all these kinds of things are things that we continue to live with the legacy of, and that that we want to kind of then you know kind of not be in tension with it. So we're kind of, uh, my understanding is that, you know, for people of color, even for for uh, people, uh, for non, for, for whites and such, um, you know, they're not necessarily in tension with that, but they're trying to find a, a truth of society and such that's organically coming out of, you know, and can you tell us a little bit about kind of the value base, uh, <clears throat> if you understand, yeah.
1: Yes, I, I totally understand, and <clears throat> that's been... The intention, as you said, yeah. uh, uh, with you know, with uh, also the book, right? Yeah. And one of the ways of looking at that and uh, thinking about it in simpler terms, uh, you know, for oneself and yeah. to express, uh, <clears throat> has been the idea of everybody's right to upward mobility, which basically means that if we are part of a civic or social system, how do we have equal access to improving ourselves as individuals, mm. uh, improving our life, living conditions, you know, and improving our, 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 um, our outcomes? Mm. Uh, so that has been something that I have been really driven by. And that is, um, it, it, it includes a resistance to all of these isms, right? It includes a resistance to patriarchy. It includes the resistance to a colonial mindset. It includes the resistance of being a brown person. So, for instance, if I go, I, I use this example uh, to explain, you know, if I go to a, a store to get coffee and if my barista gives me a coffee that's not, not that hot or, you know, not hot enough. um. You know, am I going to kind of challenge that? Mm. Yes. You know, but the question is not that, you know, the question is, what is that person's own sense of integrity Mm. to say, hey, this coffee, you know, just got, you know, so, so just this coffee is is cold or I messed up. Let me make you a new one. Mm. You know, my, my understanding is that that intention where you think that a brown person, it's Okay. You know, when you're making a decision on behalf of a brown person and saying, "Okay, you know what? It's fine." Mm. You know, I'm giving this person their coffee. So what if it's if it's a little cold? You know, yeah. And that imperfection, you know, uh, it affects the the experience overall. It's a very small thing, but mm. I think it's a very purest, infam- uh, you know, purest definition of uh, racism, where like even the mildest intention mm. of uh, not doing your job fully is is called to question to th- think of this in a larger context it's a job interview, right? Somebody walks through the door. you have already made an assumption that this person may not know as much or may not be uh, able to uh, you know assimilate or maybe they are not able to uh, do x, y, and z you know, and then with some, you know, you, you offer the same position to somebody with equal or lesser uh, credentials, you know? I mean, so that kind of thing where you were kind of not going the whole entire way to mm. give the person what they should have got gotten in the first place. Mm. Does that mean?
0: Yeah. Sense? I mean, I guess it's a question of like, how do we get down and nitty gritties of like how to dismantle these uh, biases and such. It seems like, we do have, and also we we seem to be saying that you know the way that people are represented in media, the way that people are represented in uh, is one of the major. Would you find find that as one of the major cruxing points or the pivoting points? Or what do you think is where does all this um or where does this, where do you think is the origins or what do you think is the uh, kind of you know where it's just constant it's like a infectious. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: just I think it's just been normalized. Yeah. Uh, and uh, certain people um you know, if you think about historically whether it is slavery or if you think about colonization.
0: Yeah.
1: Um it's just been normalized mm. for the brown man or the brown woman to expect mm. less yeah. and be happy with it. Yeah. And so that's kind of become a part of our social fabric. Mm. And even if you protest it, people are like, it's okay, you know? Yeah. So what? Or they'll say, you could have asked for for you know for that hot coffee or so on and so forth. But but where's the baseline at? You know, mm. that is the question that I ask. And also like, um, thinking more and more about, you know, upward mobility, um, and the right to like having equal or similar access. I also think that you're absolutely right. I mean, the media plays a really important role in, in shaping um how we we think about people. And it's certainly one of those structural uh, sort of, you know, what we when we talk about structural racism, we talk about various uh policy um, you know, stands that the governments might take, or we talk about uh cultural institutions which which includes the media, you know, we talk about public institutions and all mm. these multiple spaces that that sort of, uh, you know, make sure that that racism is alive and well, even mm. though it's under the, uh, you know, there's this whole facade of changing things or wanting to change things. I'll take an example. I I always meet, uh, you know, folks that talk about, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm colorblind. And, yeah. we, you know, we read about that, too, you know. <clears throat> And so I'm colorblind. uh, I don't see color, you know. And then I meet uh, a lot of people who say that, well, if you don't see color, then you don't see my struggles. Mm. You don't see that when I walk through the world or my child walks through the world, uh, being brown, uh, they are having a completely different experience. You know, Mm, I've spoken to mothers. Of course, we all know in, in the age of, uh, police shootings and Black Lives Matter. That at a younger and younger age, you know, uh, children are being told to behave in a certain way. If they were stopped on the street, or even young adults, if their car is pulled over, if something is, you know, if they have a confrontation mm. with a with a cop. And so, um, in, in for a younger audience, you know, there's this book that I have come across. It's a uh, Scathing criticism of uh, children's media, actually. Mm. And what it's, it's called was the cat in the hat black. And um, it basically is a scathing critique of children's media. And it talks about the more visible facets, such as, you know, the cat in the hat's roots are in blackface minstrelsy. And then it also talks about the more insidious ones, like how children's book industry can perpetuate structural racism via whitewashed covers, Mm. even while making efforts to increase diversity. You know, there's another one um, that I've also started and it's called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And that's by uh, Beverly Tatum. And uh, it talks about, you know, basically having a bunch of straight talk about our racial identities and how that is very critical to not not kind of uh to basically you know share every share the facts and that's what's going to take the structural racism or the structures basically the systemic stuff that's what's kind of going to take it down so i think to answer your question in a very kind of uh, long ways, basically, I think that's what also the book is my book, you know, Different mm. Differenters Goal is also simply uh, that you can tell children answers to simple questions in a simple way. You know, if a child comes home from school and asks you, Mom or Dad, why am I brown? You don't have to go through hoops explaining. Um, and I've had research, I uh, you know, I've done research on this and I know how parents respond. You know, I've had a mom tell me that when her kid asked her something like that in the context of her, uh, you know, of, of uh, the little kid, the little brother, she just snapped at the older brother and was like, never ask me this question ever again mm. about skin color, you know, and all he was doing was just kind of trying to understand why between the two of them you know, two siblings, one was lighter and one was darker. That's it. Mm, yeah. He was five. That's really all he wanted to know. But she hushed him. And now for, for you know, he's just going to have to pick up whatever information he's going to get through pop culture and through school, which isn't mm. going to be great. You know?
0: Mm. Yeah, when we think about the uh, wrong and misguided aspects of society, we think about how people are playing um, kind of, I think you said about lip service to... Um, you know, they're, they're saying that they're trying to make effective change, but they're not necessarily going deep into, but, you know, and going deep doesn't necessarily mean diving deep, but it means just being aware of, you know, the real reasons of, you know, just on a superficial level where we kind of think about it in complex terms of institutions and such. I think his mother was thinking of in complex terms where we just think about, you know, simple terms and, and understanding how skin color varies and, and not making it so complicated, but we need to kind of go dive deep into our own psychology, get past the colonial kind of uh, yes. thinking. Yeah. Yes,
1: I'll take another example yeah. from a, a workshop that I conducted in Delhi last year in the summer. And, uh, and it's exactly what you're saying, you know, the idea of critical consciousness or the idea of diving deep into our own childhood and unpacking our own stories and those of, uh, you know, others around us. So I was in this, you um, know, uh, inner, inner city neighborhood, is slum as we say in India, uh, and uh, this nonprofit that does, uh, you know, they have something called bridge schools, and bridge schools basically uh, provide food and hygiene, uh, training and things like that to children before and after uh, public school. So so kids will basically go to public school and then they'll show up at this bridge school, and you know, they get career counseling and you know, other uh, other such uh you know uh, uh programs are uh, mm. uh, designed for them yeah. and so this particular bridge uh, this particular ngo had invited teachers from seven different schools in seven of delhi slums and uh you know i presented the same material i present uh you know wherever i go about colorism being an ism having day to day and long term impact on people's lives and who came up with the term. So, you know, in a really sort of factual, scientific way. And uh, and, and there I am. And so uh, one of the teachers who's very engaging uh, asks me, uh, you know, I understand all this that you're telling us, but really what we're really interested to also learn about is that, you know, when a kid comes up to us uh, in the classroom and says, you know, so-and-so said that I don't look good or I look bad and I you know, look dark and what have you, what should we say? Mm. And I was like sitting in front of 50 teachers, you know, and I was like, I'll have to be honest with you. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. You know, that is not my expertise. Mm. And let's, let me try it this way. Let me tell you some stories and let's see where that goes. So I shared with them the, you know, my own unpacking of colorism, uh, which happened like four or five years after I had already been working on colorism, right, it's kind of counterintuitive but it it's possible
0: yeah
1: um and and so i showed t- talked about that, and then I talked about one or two other stories in the field that I have heard about, you know, and the con- conversation went to various places, and you know it was it was great, and we were still talking about education and and so and you know somewhere in uh in, you know a few minutes had passed, and so she's like raises a hand and whatever. And she's like, you know, I want to tell you something. So I said, all right, you know, what are you thinking? And so she said, you know, I just realized that when I, I my son is dark-skinned. uh, And when I'm playing with him, he's six months old. And when I'm playing with him, I actually use the term kalwa, which in Hindi would mean, which would basically means darky, enduringly mm. towards him. And I realized that that's a racial... That's incorrect. Basically, Mm. it's a racial slur just because the mom saying it to her child lovingly uh, is not, you know, going to change the I mean, the context is different, but it's still a slur, you know. And then she actually said that if I'm doing this with my child, I cannot begin to imagine what I'm doing with my students, Mm. you know. And she had that realization within the span of that one and a half hour workshop, which I don't think I could have you know, had for her yeah. <laughs> or given training or like done anything yeah. or answered her question. What am I supposed to? Well, now she knows what she needs to do.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. We all have to kind of uh, understand our own psychology and, and be able to interrogate ourselves. Nobody else can do that that hard work for us. You know, we yeah. all have to do that, engage in that work, that personal work, be able to understand where we're coming from and, and how our relationship with others, how our our relationship with ourselves can be improved by just interrogating how we perceive, um, uh, you know, others, those around us and how that can affect society as a large. And we think about the personal political. We think about, you know, that our personal choices matter, that our personal choices, our personal vision, the way we see the world matters, that we uh, have to take a responsibility for that. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? When we think about, you know, the personal as political, is something that the show kind of, has taken on as a mantle you know something from the seventies they uh I believe it was the uh newer newer feminists or the feminists who were using that uh as kind of a the ethos and then with the shows kind of take on to to kind of underline the fact that all these personal poets all these personal uh people who come on the show, their personal choices matter, and their personal vision of the world matters so what what would you say what does that mean to you in this context or
1: yeah absolutely I think I didn't know uh even 3 years ago or 5 years ago that well 5 years ago that i was headed on this journey yeah. you know i mean life happens and it unfolds mm. as it does and um and i think it i i i mean I, I my first project about colorism was in 2007 it was a research paper it was a research 101 paper for me that i had worked on and and then i graduated um i also did a website you know a, a full on a project with several videos and that I shot and edited as well as the designed and wrote the content for a website. It was called Colors of Brown. Um, it still exists. Of course it's uh, the design is a bit dated, but uh, the content is not unfortunately. Mm. Um, and so um, uh, that was like, and you know, I was kind of done and done with it, but then um, I would continue to find certain facts about, So one, you know, about how, so for example, you know, that skin lightening is a global industry Mm. and there is no uh, all encompassing figure that we'll get from any global industry, uh, you know, standards. There's like 20 billion is one number that I've read. But again, I don't think it includes various uh, aspects of skin lightening, like steroid creams or home Mm. treatments or bleaching, for example. Right. So it's specific to um, you know, the industry. Um, So coming back to, uh, you know, so I said basically, so I heard about the skin lightening. I was looking, talking to a friend who's a media planner and she actually had looked at the data for skin lightening usage in India. And what she told me was, which I could never forget, was that women and little girls living in the, you know, tier two cities and in villages, rural areas of India were using this product. And it really made me wonder, you know, about, about our priorities as a nation mm. and what are we thinking women need to do. I remember for my crowdfunding campaign, I had done a infographic, uh, an animation animated one. And I said that, you know, the amount of money we spend on, uh, as a nation, we spend on skin lightning, uh, you know, could send 14,000 girls to uh, through secondary, through like a vocational education, which basically means it could put 14,000 uh. girls or women through vocational education, which means that they could be self-sufficient for life, mm. Right. Uh, I'm talking about towns and rural uh, where, you know, it's not the MBAs or the doctor, yeah. you know, it's mostly like vocational is yeah, really critical, yeah. you know? Absolutely. So there was that. So I think slowly little by little. And then also in my personal life, I think I started uh, taking more, much more of a stand uh, with, you know, with people I was surrounded with or a job that I had where I think I was a token hire, you know, which was not fun at all. Um, and I made sure before I parted ways, that I was respectfully uh, able to communicate to them, you know, in very simple steps, what this, you know, my what it takes to plan, uh, and get work as an immigrant, yeah. you know, uh, in a country, and what would be the cost of, uh, you know, uh, me having to part ways with with that. And and it was a lot of other stuff that Mm. happened, but, you know, essentially. And I think so little by little, these facts and like personal life and growing up and, you know, uh, growing up by growing up, I mean, like adulting, you know, I just became more and more. uh, And it's hard. I mean, it's hard because I think people see me now, friends, friends of friends on Facebook, you know, I'm pretty Uh, myself on Facebook you know I don't necessarily challenge people's views all the time but I do put out my views I am very tolerant of other people's views but I don't sort of self-censor you know and so when I meet people um, I, I feel that they feel it's okay to attack me you know for my choices or for things that I might have said or what they think I stand for you know for instance if I'm questioning a religious festival you know, if I'm questioning um, anything that that people's belief system is yeah. tied to, you know, they feel that because they felt attacked, they feel it's okay to attack me.
0: Yeah, and and but I'm yeah. Speaking of which, uh, this kind of pulls on for a thread for me because when we talk when we talk about the um, previously, you're talking about uh, how um, certain characters in pop culture were drawing from minstrel. Um, characterizations and how this kind of whole institution mm-hmm. of racism you know coming from the times of uh slavery and even prior uh you know are then having this cascading impact on our pop culture that gets people very you know riled up because they don't like to think of their pop culture their favorite pop culture their favorite artifacts in pop culture as being you know "quote unquote" biased or racist or whatever mm-hmm. but these are all kind of terms it's not so much that the the artifact itself, the, the the um pop culture, whether it be the way in which they're represented is is racist, is mainly that it comes from or it's indicative of or it's a tip of the iceberg of a major, you know, movement or major normalization of kind of the way in which you perceive uh skin color and which like you know, the idea that orcs are always dark skinned and, you know, um, elves are always fair skinned. These kinds of things, you're just questioning that. It's not so much whether or not you know, Tolkien himself was thinking that it's more about, um, the way in which we kind of are influenced by or perceive, uh, skin color and such. So I know that that becomes a, that becomes a major kind of touchy point for people on, on the internet, you know? I don't know. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. You know, like the idea that, uh, you know, could we just represent an elf as a dark skinned elf and would, what would be the problem with our light like skinned orc and, what would be the problem with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. We were like finding yeah. excuses and we're yeah. like, you know, as a culture, we are like, well, so what? Or, you know, that doesn't matter. It's just the artist just thought about it, yeah. you know, but the point is that no, it's happening again and again and again. It's a pattern. Uh, yeah. And why can't you just see that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if you can see it, then why can't you just accept it?
0: Yeah. Um, Cause even with all these new, um, the way in which Hollywood has been starting to um, represent and such people are all these backlashes we all see on the internet about uh, you know, African-American uh, little mermaid and such people are suddenly, you know, always feel coming out of the woodwork and whether or not these are actual people. And these are just like internet trolls, I don't know. Like <laughs> well, some people have told me that a lot of these people who have this ba- counterculture backlash are actually, you know, uh, instigators that are being uh, paid to, uh, just provoke people into a culture war i'm not sure whether how many of these people are actually real people and it's bots. hard to know you know whether they're bots or whatever yeah, yeah yeah so who knows but there definitely there is some uh pushback and there's some culture 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 uh you know people who are questioning or 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 and people who are then reacting you know so uh speaking of, of of like things like bollywood and such where we we hope to you know, find more, uh, you know, understanding is actually less, you know, because we have a huge tradition of like the hero, heroine being, you know, light-skinned and all that and not and having the, and having that dark skin light-skinned drama, psychodrama play out in that way that reinforces, um is kind of what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Bollywood is really um and to a large extent hollywood as well you yeah, know people course, have yeah. been more uh, openly yeah. kind, of, kind yeah. of talking about it uh, viola davis has said you know things and lupita uh, nyongo has said stuff yeah and uh, uh, so they've been very like uh, open and, and direct mm. about the colorism in hollywood and bollywood of course i think um there are some uh, people that are you know seriously Wanting to bring about change, but but I think there is um, there's still a lot more to to be done as far as Bollywood is concerned. Yeah. Even uh, the one thing, the good thing. So as I said, you know, I've been observing trends and uh, you know um, in, in Bollywood for some time. So the one thing that has happened is, for the most part, you know, um, uh, big celebrity a listers are trying to stay away from skin lightening products um, endorsements. Mm. So if you know Priyanka Chopra, who's now, you know, big here in the U.S. as well, you know, started out out in India as a film actress. And, and she has, uh, you know, she did a skin lightening commercial uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And then she did a bunch of like a couple others. And she has since publicly apologized for not knowing, you know, better and for having grown with, uh, you know, being called brown and having internalized these messages. And so and so now she says she stands for real beauty. And, you know, she stands for all these, mm. you know, notions of like accepting who you are, you know, mm. which we don't I will not say anything else beyond yeah. that. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. so there's her and then there's um so, so at least, I mean, so 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 she apologized. And overall, I think fewer and fewer, uh, you know, Shah Rukh Khan has been one of the leading, leading uh, sort of King Khan, he's called, right, uh, over all over the world or whatever. And he's celebrated in so many countries. And he has been the face of a men's lightning cream that first came out in 2007, um, fair and handsome. And I think he's still... The brand ambassador for that, I think they've had other people, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, they've had all other actors, you know, just participate in that, all the leading actors. But I think that's kind of coming to a close now. Uh, so that's that's a good change. But other than that, as far as films are concerned, you know, there's more art house cinema happening now because of the other uh, channels like Netflix and, you know, all these other media yeah. channels and ways of, um, you know, showing films but uh, but yeah i think it's still it's still at a point where you know people are selecting a darker skinned model or actor for a reason not mm. just because they're a good actor
0: you mm. know so i think yeah. that that
1: kind of dual, that kind of binary thinking is still there
0: yeah yeah it has to be like um something that we're cultivating you know from the writer up from the, from the very ground up we're trying to create a a vision of our society that is more in line with or, or synced with not, not just taking a, the top down, you know, we're just, we're taking a full product and be like, Oh, let's just throw on, you know, something superficial or throw on another character, but rather from the ground up, it should be coming organically in the story that we're creating stories about our differences and stories about. And then from that kind of germinating into the the complexities and the, and the subtleties and the truth that comes from a diverse, you know, world, a diverse, you know not just always thinking in terms of you know and that comes from you know the very organically from the genesis of the of the of the project i think yeah you know
1: absolutely in fact i am also very critical of a lot of uh, you know a lot of like uh, content that is now coming out about colorism especially yeah. in india because you know that's the region uh, that i focus most on and you know every other day you'll see a model who's a new model and, you know, somewhere on the page three or whatever, you know, in India, that's considered the, you know, short and uh, quippy news articles or whatever. And so they'll say, she, the new model will be like, oh, I was, you know, I, I grew up to be dark skinned. You know, I'm I'm a dark skinned person and I grew up and I was always bullied. But, you know, guess what? I overcame it and today I'm a successful model. Uh. You know, so there's those kind of stories. Then there's another article, I'm not going to name the Media house uh, that that ran the listicle, but they had uh, about ten uh, or so uh, women that were, uh, you know, listed in that in that listicle, and each of them, you know, had w- were shown to be quote unquote successful women, and they were all quote unquote considered like dark skinned women. Mm. Now, if you scroll through that article, you see these are women in their late twenties, early thirties. You know, because I think that's the target audience for that yeah. that particular agency. And these are all women that are like medium to dark skin. They all have these fancy titles, financial analyst, you know, director and, uh, you know, very, very sophisticated. And the photo shoot looks very, very uh, all the individual photographs look very structured and like intentional and you know you can see the backdrop very staged Mm. you know and all of those will you know talk about their oppression story and how they overcame it and my question so I'll take an example that one of them says well you know when I was seven somebody called me dark-skinned and I ran home and I cried and my mom said to me that it's okay you know just ignore those people and doesn't matter what they say and you know Mm. you just have to be yourself and so on and then how they magically overcame mm. this whole struggle. Yeah. So my question to you is that having education, living in a big city, knowing the English language, having the exposure to the rest of the world, having all those things and having a mom who said to you, it's okay. All of that is privilege. Yeah. So when you're telling me oppression story, you are making it sound like you through your single-handed, you know, hard work and mm. charisma overcame, which you didn't. Yeah. I'll take the same story to a village setting mm. where the mom is the one telling her daughter that you, you know I you you just I mean, moms have said strangest of things to their children. Yeah. And I'm not just speaking about Indian moms. Mm. You know, I'm talking across the board.
0: And we um, have to be able to understand, you know, how our privilege can be, you know, can be detrimental, how it can be good. If we if we ignore it if we ignore it it becomes like a that silent you know if we ignore it and we pretend like it's not there yeah then um then it it becomes like we act like it or we pretend like um you know it's through our hard work or or discipline or things like that that's the illusion yeah but when we're able to use that as a way to help others then I think it can be beneficial yeah. if they're able to like you know, reach out and help. If leverage their privilege to help others, then it can be, be beneficial. Yes, exactly. You know, just being acknowledging yeah. it or being be, be, let it be known that this yes. comes from economic privilege, just comes from you know these kinds of things, and and um, yes. and how we can then open doors for others. Yeah, yes. and how we can open yes. doors for others to be able to see. Yeah,
1: yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, you were asking earlier about the values yeah. that I hold uphold so dearly, and I was talking about. You know, everyone's right to upward mobility, mm. right? Coming back to that for a second here. And, and so the follow up to that is exactly, you know, what you just said. We can all be upwardly mobile and become the best version of ourselves and do well and have a better living condition is when we are self-aware and we know our privileges and oppression. You know, mm. and learning one's privileges and oppressions is an ever evolving uh, process. You know, it's it's, it's an ongoing work. Mm. It's not just done. And the more, the more we, uh, you know, recognize these so-called like power structures, the more we are able to break them down through talking. Mm. Again, it goes back to talking and straight talk, you know, yeah. just, uh, you know, the more, more we can break them down. Because, of course, we know that everything is designed around us. To protect these people in power, to protect patriarchy, you know, customs, traditions, beliefs, media, everything is trying to make it look like these are important people. These are smart people, whether it's men, whether it's white people, whether it's, you know, yeah. uh, heteronormative
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, folks. Right. Yeah. And so how can we kind of break that down? We need to slowly sort of patiently recognize those structures we need to find a way to challenge them mm. you know we need to articulate so exactly and i think all of that comes in to knowing your own privileges and oppressions and really taking that moment to think about how we can benefit society how can mm. we all move forward together
0: yeah we'll and you rather, had you yeah. had another story well i not to go to another story about um something that really had an impact on you that um Kind of a pivotal moment, maybe. I think you, you described uh, um, in a teaching moment, or uh, yeah, most, yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, so one of the stories that always stays sharply, uh, you know, in my mind is this one when before I moved to the US, I was working on a project with a nonprofit, which took us to various uh, schools and in in various schools and institutions of learning in uh, New Delhi. And in one such, uh, one such institution was in a slum area. And so, you know, I was just uh, finished my class with, uh, you know, it wasn't even a class, it was kind of like a workshop with uh, children. And as I was waiting for my public transport to arrive, I I was approached by this little girl. And she must have been like, maybe 3 or so years old and she was very curious about my mobile phone and as she was walking up towards me another kid started to approach me and um, he was also curious about of course curious about my phone this is 2005 of course now kids are not so curious about cell phones uh-huh. but uh, so this young girl this little 3 year old girl picked up a stick you know from the from the ground and she basically struck the boy with it and, you know, I was aghast and I just looked at her and I was like, what did you, like, you know, what, what just happened? And so she tells me, Mene se mara ye kala hai, which basically translates to, I just hit him because he's dark-skinned. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I'm still telling you this story and I'm still getting goosebumps just thinking about it, you know. And it, it, it makes no sense to us. Yeah. And she's also, she's three,
0: yeah. you know.
1: So the question is, at what age, you know, do we start learning about, colorism Mm -hmm. um also another facet of this incident was that the girl was you know dressed wearing uh, she was dressed in a pretty white frock you know for little girls and the boy was wearing a relatively more tattered sort of you know older worn out clothes and and i was remember thinking like there's like gender playing into this there's there's class playing into this perhaps there's cast playing into this. the mom was there though the mom could see all of this happen and she didn't do anything she was not surprised she was unfazed looked the other way you know and i was just just shocked um when i was reflecting and you know when i was reflecting on this story at a tedx women talk that i had given in 2013 i remember writing this and i think it's still uh, it still rings true even now is that the politics of skin color run deep it's inked on our souls. And each time, it's inked on our souls in, it, in our own mother tongue. Etched further and further in by the media and its many avatars.
0: Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, I think also we think about um, you know, how these things reveal. Uh, these stories is not about the individual person, but also how it reveals in ourselves, what provokes in ourselves and what we can think about you know, because uh, the goosebumps, I think, comes from the idea that is there any tension of that? What do I see in the society that teaches us that? Where do I bring it back to the roots of, you know, what we've gotten from society that have taught us that, that or, or showed us that and yeah. how we have to interrogate that and we have to constantly be aware of that and show like, you know, this kind of this fear of other, this fear of whether, however it manifests, this fear of the other and how. That manifests in us, you know. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yes,
1: and 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 you're right. I mean, I, I have so many other incidents that are more literal, that are more yeah. like, um, you know, just more uh, sort of visible.
0: Visible. But yeah. this is
1: so symbolic too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a three year old and it's a two year old, and but the symbolism of it is is so real and yeah. it's so intense.
0: And it's so it's so unapologetic, and it's you know it's so like. Oh, that's it's obvious, you know. And I think that yeah. that's really what you're like. Hit, there's no excuses being made, you know. Yeah. And that's where you really, really see you see the um, the problem, the issue there. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll continue the conversation. But I just want to make a few shouts to um, uh, Ready for Brooklyn. Uh, this is the truth to power show. And Radio for Brooklyn. Uh, Ready for Brooklyn is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy education and free expression. We rely permanently on donation listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation, a monthly pledge at org slash donate or go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. And you can sponsor this particular show. Um, Radio for Brooklyn is, is also accept is offering a 20% discount on um, affordable podcast recording services to people in the community. So if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, just go um, just get yours out of the kitchen into professional studio where it belongs. RFB offers a low hourly rate, which includes technician. So all you need to do is show up and record. Uh, please go to um, now through uh, September 1st, we're offering a discount. So go to readyforbrooklynorg for slash podcast studio and use the coupon code TTP for truth to power TTP. Um, again, this is readyforbrooklynorg broken.org slash podcast studio. Uh, use the coupon code TTP for um, before September 1st. Um, so also, if you're listening to uh, this show on your computer, free yourself up by going to the iPad, iPhone, and uh, Android apps. Uh, definitely download those apps, and uh, that's about it for me. Uh, so now, uh, any last comments, Jyoti, that you want to say about direct people to your website or look up your look up your books and such
1: yes absolutely i would love to have more uh, people um you know this is a community supported project a lot of the work has been uh by you know taken forward by just people who became interested in my work uh, that wanted to help me uh, reach bigger better places so i would love to hear back from uh, all of you to hear what you think you like about the project what you don't like about it, feedback, something about the book. If there's a book club that you're a part of, I would love to, um, you know, send send you a discounted copy um, uh, to discuss at your book club, um, at libraries, if you can request your bookstores to have, uh, to order a copy of this book. You know, it looks far better you asking for it at your bookstore, local bookstore, (laughs) than me kind of trying to chase them down, you know. So these kind of things really... Really, really impact, affect independent, uh, self publishers and people like me. You know, knowledge producers, cultural producers
0: yeah, would be thank great. Thank you, thank you. So I hope you will do that. Go to your librarian, ask them to order it. Um, different, differenter. Um, also, uh, Tuesday Power Show airs airs every Monday at eight AM. We rebroadcast on Thursdays at nine AM for now, but check the readifbookend for the final um, uh, listing because uh, it's subject to change. Uh, The rebroadcast, I mean. But we are every Monday at 8 a.m. So we're listening to, um, I selected a song, um, I believe it's uh, Roxette. Listen to Your Heart. Yeah, by Roxette. Thank you.